Michael Voris's hair alone. Leave him alone. Today is Friday, August 28th, 2020. Time for episode, I don't know. We just published a couple hours ago, didn't we? Yes, we did. We're on the ball, man. Okay, so as I mentioned on Twitter, we are going to do a podcast about prepping, and I have no idea when we're going to publish this. We're going to publish it later. And I did get some feedback saying, wait, are you joking that you're really doing a podcast about prepping and saving it until you really need it? Or are you really doing a podcast about it and then just going to publish it later? So that was, I don't know, it's Schrodinger's podcast. You tell me. Yeah, <laughs> You'll only know when you observe it, and then it will either exist or self-annihilate. So, yeah. And and there are a lot of different topics we could go into when it comes to prepping. Obviously, there's a lot of things going sideways right now in, in the world, in the United States especially, because that's where we live. That's the most uh, appropriate thing to say. And there there are even some podcasts saying that, remember the day, it was earlier this week, it was the first shots of the American Civil War. And this was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, not the initial night after the guy got shot seven times in the back. Um, I don't even know the full, we don't know the full story on that one yet. It's going to come out at some point. But uh, with the follow-up riots that were happening on a nightly basis, somebody came in, it was a 17-year-old kid, actually. He wants to become a cop at some point. That probably isn't going to happen now. Maybe he can join the Army or the Marines. But uh, he came in with his AR-15, and he was volunteering with a group of people from out of state to protect the property of people in Kenosha from these mobs. And he ended up shooting three people in every single case. These were people who are making lethal threats against him. So the idea being here, this is white on white mob violence, and it's also ideological violence. Um, it, 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 was, it was phrased as being the first shots in the American Civil War. Remember this because it's only going to get more crazy from here. People who believe in the rule of law protecting life and liberty and property versus those who think we can burn it all down because we can build a, a more beautiful communist state in the future. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't even know if they're even thinking about rebuilding. I really don't get that sense at all. I think that, that they're just, they just have a lust for destruction and I, I honestly don't think that these people have, have given much forethought at all. And one of the indicators of that is on every single one of these clips that you see, whenever, as you said, things go sideways and people in these um, autonomous zones or wherever there's, there's um, rioting or, or anything going on, and somebody goes down and somebody needs medical attention. What, what is the first thing that all of these people, all of these BLM, social justice warrior, all of these idiots, what is the first thing that they start screaming? They start screaming, somebody call 911. Uh, and by the way, this kid who shot three people and two of them fatal, apparently, and it was all in self-defense. And there's mm -hmm. video to prove it as well. Oh, yeah. He's oh, yeah. also a trained e and qualified EMT. There's also video evidence from earlier earlier in the evening before he shot anybody that he was giving medical um, aid to the protesters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the it's the lack of. I mean, I, I know it's hard for people to believe that this is true, but 
you know, one of the, one of the great lessons of living as an adult, you know, in the United States of America in the late 20th and early 21st centuries has been coming to the sick realization that people, people really are as, as shallow of thought and, um, that I guess shallow of thought is, is the best way to put it that we can't even understand. So that you've, you've got these kids, these people who are out protesting and say, defund the police. And then as soon as anything happens, the first words out of their mouth are call 911. I mean, this, this is reminds me of the mindset of people who think that electricity comes out of the wall Food comes out of the back room of the grocery store. I mean, it's it's that kind of a thought. They just think these things are, are can and will magically appear, and they can literally in one breath be saying, "We have to eliminate the police, defund the police," and then in in the next breath, they'll be screaming, "Somebody call nine one one! Somebody come and help me! Where are the cops? Call the cops! Call the cops!" You're out here burning, burning civilization to ash on the premise that you don't want any police. And then as soon as anything happens, you say, call 911. Yes, they really are that shallow and they haven't thought anything through. They have absolutely no idea how anyone would even begin to rebuild anything. They've not sat down and considered the fact that, you know, <sighs> rap hip hop people do not have the skill set to build buildings. They don't have the skill set to build roads. They don't have the skill set to, um, you know, refine petroleum or generate, you know, hydroelectric generation of electricity, of electricity there, they have given absolutely no thought to any of this. It's the IQ level of this whole thing. If you, if you were going to um, personify this whole culture and this whole movement and then assign a theoretical IQ to it, we're, we're talking an IQ in the, in the seventies, I would think. I don't even think you could put it into the eighties. It's, it's that, it's that bad. It's that shallow. It's that stupid. And no, they don't have any plan for anything. They, they have no concept of economics of, of distribution of, of the logistics of distributing goods Nothing, absolutely nothing. What they are doing is a demonic, basically a bloodlust, just destruction for destruction's sake. Could you say that their motto is Hagam Leo, raise hell? Yeah, I think that would be an excellent way to put it, super nerd. Exactly. Make a mess, raise hell. And what is what is the um, the motto of Freemasonry? The motto of Freemasonry is. Ab chaos ordine from from chaos comes order from chaos order, um, and so the antecedent to that is obviously chaos and hogging the Leo and making making the mess as the anti pope explicitly launched that um, launched that saying at I believe it was the World Youth Day in uh, in Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, yeah. 
So go to the children, indoctrinate the children, and sow the seeds and incite in them this, this mindless, suicidal lust for destruction. And then, you know, the Soroses and the Freemasons and the Gates and all these people are just sitting back and watching this and knowing that as, as soon as everything is just completely burned to the ground and nobody has a job and everybody's starving to death, that they will then swoop in and it will just be, it'll be fish in a barrel. Even, even talking about a nation of 350 million people who are armed to the teeth they're just there. It looks at this point as if they're going to roll. There have been a couple of people who have started to say, who have gone to city council meetings and said things like, now you all better watch it because you're going to cross a line. I, I'm sorry. The line was crossed a hell of a long time ago. So I'm color me unimpressed when when people are now going to the city council meeting and saying, y'all better watch out because you're fixing to cross a red line. George Washington was shooting people on Christmas because they were trying to tax his, be- his breakfast beverage and it wasn't even coffee. Um, I- I'm sorry, but you've you've had your entire economy destroyed. You've been put under martial law. You're now under secular Sharia where you have to cover your face. Um, I, Although I'm there, sorry. there are starting to get, I've heard some pushbacks about that recently. Uh, um, an acquaintance of mine, I'm not going to say what field he's in, but one of his coworkers went to, I guess, Bass Pro and it was the only person in the, in the, in the store who was not wearing a mask. And, and a manager came up to him and said, I'm just curious, why aren't you wearing a mask? Is it because I believe in freedom? And the guy says, I do too. And gave a $50 gift card. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that is the exception uh, in the, in the blue States. That's probably not going to happen, mm-hmm. but there, there is pushback happening already. Now the question is, will it be enough? And is it too late? Uh, what I think is going to start happening um, and what I'm already hearing, and I think you've probably heard the same anecdotal uh, little tricklings of evidence coming in, doctors, nurses, and dentists are seeing a significant uptick in the incidence of staph infections of the mouth and throat, strep infections of the mouth and throat, and also of acne in adults who shouldn't have acne at all. Um, the, the staff in particular is, is incredibly dangerous. And I don't know, is it, is it going to take for people to start getting really serious staff infections in their mouth, throat, and lungs, um, from wearing these damn things? They're absolutely filthy. I was, I was at, I was at mass actually. And someone there, not, not very many people at all, hardly any, um, mess with masks where I go to mass, but, um, there was, there was a family there and there was a little boy and he was probably three and he had, uh, just a, one of those disposable Kleenex surgical masks. Um, and he had it, he didn't have it on, but he's got it in his hand and he's playing with it. And he's, he's just rubbing the thing all over the floor, just all over the floor. 
I mean, gross, really gross. And, you know, the parents are seeing this. He's just he's doing it in front of everybody. You know, kids are. They got something. They play with it. You know, this kid is just rubbing this mask all over the floor. And then it gets it's the end of mass. It's time for them to leave. And the mother says, "Okay, masks. And this little boy takes this mask that he has been like cleaning the floor with literally and puts it on his face. And you just look at that and think, never mind any sort of, any sort of seasonal cold or influenza. What, what in the hell are people going to be getting from, from having these, these filthy, disgusting, just, just Foul, wretched pieces of cloth all over their face all day. Um, I'm friendly with one of the neighborhood restaurants where I live, and I was talking to the guys there, and I was like, "Gentlemen, I'm getting all kinds of of um, feedback that are you know emails from people saying, look, this staff and strep infection thing, this is happening.' And I told and I told the guys." You need to just go buy a bottle of Listerine and you need to be Listerine in your mouth like every hour. And they were like, yeah, I, I absolutely think that's right. The other thing is, is they've remarked that if they take the mask off and then like smell it, that it absolutely reeks, reeks of foulness and not just not just of sweat but of but of something much more fundamentally foul and revolting if you put your face on it and smell it yeah i think a lot of people have forgotten the fact that the operation of breathing is not simply exchanging carbon dioxide for oxygen it's also expelling waste it's, yep it's particulate aerosol waste that comes out of the body and it's one of these things that if you've ever been on a diet and you weigh yourself at night and you weigh yourself in the morning you you wake up in the morning two pounds lighter, but you yeah. didn't emit any fluids or bathroom. anything like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. You didn't get up to go to the bathroom or anything like that. It's like, well, how we're, how is that possible? Well, what were you doing to expel all night? You were expelling that through your airways. There's crap. Well, well literally, maybe. Yeah. Stuff coming out of your airways. That's one of the ways for the body to get stuff out of the system. Most of the weight that you lose when you lose weight is lost through respiration. It's not lost through the bathroom. It's lost through respiration. That's all. It's all coming out of your mouth. I mean, I don't, I think everybody understood this. Didn't everybody used to understand this seven months ago that, you know, you don't, you don't sit and, and suck in your own, your own respiration, that that's, that's no good. And that you have to have specific systems. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful of Nurse Claire to explain to us. And that this was kind of news to me, too. That, I mean, turning the air over in those surgery theaters 40 times an hour, they're basically standing in a wind tunnel to protect them because they have to wear masks. Because as I posted that picture that was sent in of the blood splattered all over the ceiling and all over the light fixture and everything... People in surgery theaters, they're wearing face coverings to keep from getting other people's blood and pus and guts in their mouth. That's why they're wearing it. And so if you have to, if you have to wear a barrier in front of your face, you got to be basically standing in front of a wind tunnel 
to keep from getting sick. I, we all understood this. It's, you know, it, keep, keep your hands away from your face. Um, um, you know, cover your mouth when you sneeze and then go wash your hands. I mean, everybody used to understand this. And now, and now it's everybody's addicted to this idea that you just got to be sucking in your own, your own aerosolized effluvium. And it's just, it's, it's insane. It's mass hysteria. Or you mentioned sneezing and then go washing your hands. Even better, there there was one good thing that came out of the, I think it was the H1N1, back when uh, Obama first came into office, and it was the... 2009. Yeah, yeah. the de facto yep. excommunicated former governor of Kansas, who was the HHS secretary. The whole idea that they introduced what they called the, um, the Dracula sneeze, where you yes, sneeze yeah. in, into your elbow. And mm-hmm. the more I thought about it, it's like, that makes... Excellent sense, because you don't usually use your elbow to go grabbing things right after, as opposed yep. to if you sneeze into your hands. Well, now the first thing you need to do is go wash your hands and, oh, don't touch anything on the way. So how do you get that done exactly? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. But now now people are absolutely insistent that everyone's going to die if as long if everybody on the planet isn't perpetually breathing in their own aerosolized waste. That's uh, what do you even say? What do you even say? Well, and, and we are going to die. That's yes. that's guaranteed. And by the way, the people who are so concerned about getting the population from whatever we're at now, 8 billion down to 1 billion or less, why the hell are they insisting we wear a mask to not get sick and die? Yeah. Has anybody ever stopped and thought about that? They're, why are they working on a vaccine? Yeah. Why Why aren't they just, if, if this is what they say it is, why aren't they kicking back and saying, hey, 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 just, just be cool. Just be cool. Let, let this thing, let this thing call as many people as possible. Don't, don't you think that's a little bit odd it, that it makes absolutely no sense that we have to, you know, every 95 year old who's dying of cancer has to live forever according according to this hype that's being that's being uh pumped all day every day but in the same breath we have to reduce the surface population by 88% within 100 years hmm that doesn't quite that doesn't quite add up maybe so, the real reason is that orange man is really that bad and they have no other means to get him out and they're running out of excuses which makes me want to you know let's get into the podcast at this point yeah so. <laughs> Um, so the, the whole idea here is prepping. We, we did kind of, no, we really did have a, a prepping round one. And I seem to recall that this was well before the actual quarantines and everything, um, happened. And I remember specifically that one of the things we mentioned stocking up on was toilet paper, which is not in this podcast, but I went out after that podcast and bought more toilet paper and, um, Kleenexes, mainly as a joke. I, I've got a big enough family. We're going to go through it at some point anyway. And so my wife just rolled her eyes or whatever. And then two weeks later, quarantine goes into effect. And it, at the Sam's where we normally shop, Sam's Club, they said we're going to be out of toilet paper for three weeks. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay. So the whole point of what I'm getting at here is that think ahead to what's coming and and prepare appropriately. And some of this stuff, I mean, I was right before the podcast, right before we started recording. I was talking with uh, Nanvini Mark, and we were talking about guns because we were talking about prepping as well. And uh, he's he's talking about uh, AR. He just got an AR-15, and and the problem is that he can't find ammo for it for less than sixty cents a round. Which is my mm. my thought was it's that cheap. 
I I am not even looking at this point for for ammo because it's just so incredibly expensive, and it depends upon you know whether or not you plan to go patrol in in, a, in an active riot zone versus um, you're just going to pretend or protect your 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 turf if if a mob decides to come up the street. I'm far enough out in the in the sticks that I don't think that's going to be a, a problem, but. You know the, the the general point I was getting at is yeah I mean obviously you, the the right answer for how much ammo should you have is the same answer as how much memory should you give your SQL server more you mm-hmm. you always want more more ammo if you need it well, ideally before you need it but to a certain degree it's even better to not get involved in a gunfight to begin with so we're not going to be going into you know tactical considerations like that it's more let's let's say the eternal considerations. Uh, so I know we shared some notes back and forth about topics we wanted to talk about for round two of prepping, assuming that we are probably going into a second civil war and maybe a very significant breakdown in society. So what are the things you want to think about going into that? And I don't remember if it was you or somebody else who mentioned this, but general confession. Yeah. You absolutely have got to take advantage of this now. I mean, we, we mentioned this during the first um, lockdown that people were now suddenly not able to go to mass, not able to go to the sacraments. That meant, I mean, a lot of people got very um, aware of the fact that, hey, maybe I shouldn't put myself in the in the um, occasion of sin because I don't know when I will get a chance to go to confession again. That's good, but you should always have that idea. And while you've got the chance, make a general confession. This, if you're not familiar with it, this is a, you're making a confession of your whole life or since you're... Sorry about that. Knocking down a prop for later in the show. Um, the The whole idea of the general confession is you're confessing all of your sins, either for your whole life or for, since your last general confession. And this is not a statement that those sins weren't forgiven. It's more that you're making, to make an analogy, why as a married couple would you renew your vows? It's not that you weren't married to begin with, but you are right. reaffirming on a periodic interval that I love you and I would do this all over again even if I wasn't bound to it or mm-hmm. maybe you supply your I mean, that's the way I think about it um just you're 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 so in love with your spouse you can't imagine life without them and even though there's no question you're already married you're going to renew the vows anyway well in a sense the general confession is like renewing the vows of your baptism and wiping clean everything i mean it, it's you, you there's a tremendous sense of peace that comes from having that all definitely behind you. There are certainly cases where um, if you if you don't make a good preparation for confession, uh, you can get back to the pew and do your, your penance and even finish the, the mass or wherever you were in, in the context of confession and maybe two days later remember, oh, shoot, I forgot to mention that I lied on that occasion. And lying is always a, is always a sin. There's no justification that makes it not a sin. I'm just using that as an example. A general confession is an opportunity. Usually, it's done in the context of a spiritual retreat, and you have multiple days and spiritual conferences to go through and make a very long form and in depth uh, examination of conscience. And then the the culmination of the retreat, in many respects, is that general confession that then. You know, it's all done. If you ever had any question about anything you forgot to uh, confess, a lot of the graces you get on that uh, retreat, especially the Ignatian retreats, um, they're all geared around the general confession. 
it, it's it's a tremendous sense of levity that comes as a result of that because you have without any doubt confessed things. And of course, if you've gone to confession, this is not meant to induce scruples by any means. If you have made a valid confession, if you forgot to say something in confession, you simply say it the next time you go to confession. If it's a mortal sin, go back to confession sooner. You know, if you're if you're on a two week period and you remember halfway through the week, if you have a chance to go, go as soon as possible. Go the next week if that's the next time possible, and and say, Father, it's been one week instead of two since my last general con- or since my last confession. I forgot to say this last time, and I realized that my absolution took care of it because I didn't conceal it out of malice, but I want to make sure it's confessed. Mm-hmm. Confession, if as as frequently as 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 prudent. Ask your local priest for information on that. General confession right now, before it's absolute chaos, is a good thing. And in general, in, in general rule of thumb, if you're not sure about general confessions, uh, the advice I'd heard is uh, every major change or, or transition in life. So, in my case, graduating from high school, uh, getting out of the navy, and coming back to the civilian world uh, before getting married. Major transitions in life is a good time to do a general confession. We're all very likely about to go through a major transition in life right now, so now's a good time for a general confession. And if not, then hey, it's good practice. Absolutely. And, you know, when things go sideways, before in in formerly Christian territory, there were baseline rules of war, so on and so forth, and people people would be afforded clergy, even if people were being executed and they requested clergy, they would, you know, there were, it was, it was still, it was still Christian civilization. And there were those kind of concessions were made. Um, That is not going to happen this time. You can't, if, if you fall into custody of these, of these leftists, of these people, and they, they will start, they will start, um, kidnapping people, imprisoning people, and publicly executing people. It's, it's obvious that's where that's all driving. Um, y- you are not going to be able to have access to the sacraments, to clergy, to anything. Even, even if you are publicly executed, they, they are so demonic and they are so evil and this is all so far gone. It's basically like you, you have to think of these people almost as if you were falling into the hands of musloids, you know. Or worse. I mean, let's think about the Spanish Civil War as a, as a possible template for this. There was a story I heard in a, in a sermon about uh, a couple of guys who were captured by the, the communists in Spain. And they, they gave them the choice. You either commit, um, um, not apostasy, uh, blasphemy, or we'll shoot you right now on the spot. And one guy said, heck no, shoot me. And the other guy gave in. And he committed blasphemy. And they said, no, do it again. And he, it was after three times that this guy committed blasphemy they shot him in the head. I don't know what happened to the other guy. I don't know. Maybe he was the one who ended up living to tell the story. But these are satanic people. They yeah. want you to sin, and then they want you to die. They uh-huh. do not want people going to heaven. Yep, and they they will take tremendous um, diabolical satisfaction in in seeing to it that you die without the sacraments and that you die you know what we all pray in the fourth glorious mystery our lady's assumption is for a happy holy provided death they are going to absolutely luxuriate in depriving you of of a provided death meaning 
having the sacraments in any way. It ain't going to happen. So you better do it now. And going back to what Super Nerd said, I mean, every day after Mass, when I go through my litany of prayers, the second to last um, in my in my list of prayers after Mass is saying to our Lord, I don't want to go to hell. And you think, and if you stop and think about that, it, it, it's kind of dumb because of course he knows that. And you're like, why, why do I have to keep saying this every day? Why do I keep saying this every day? Why am I telling omniscient, um, omnipotent, infinite love himself? Why am I making this statement that is so categorically obvious? I don't want to go to hell because it's consoling to me to say it. And so, and he's there and he listens to me every day as I say it. And that is consolation. Even though it's a statement that, that is completely obvious, it doesn't matter. Just being able to say it brings me consolation and he is happy to listen and, and hope and give that consolation. So it's the same thing with, with doing a general confession. He's there listening because it's, it's for your benefit and it's so you f- you'll feel better and you'll be calm and at peace. And, you know, if when the situation goes tactical, um, you you'll have your wits about you and you'll either be able to fight, do what you need to do, defend or if retreat is what you need to do. You'll have your wits about you and you'll be able to do that efficiently or if when the time comes and it's time and people are going to start torturing and executing you, you're going to be calmer. You're going to be better off if you can go into um, torture and death with the absolute certainty that, well, I, I made a good general confession not too terribly long ago. And, you know, I haven't done any mortally sinful X, Y, or Z. So I'm feeling pretty good about this and you'll, you'll be better off and calmer for it. And then you'll be able to give an example to people who are watching is remember it's the blood of the martyrs. It's the blood of the martyrs. Look, look at how much the church has been destroyed already. Look at how existentially destroyed the church militant has already been. What's going to rebuild that? The blood of the martyrs. And folks, that's that's almost certainly going to be at least some of us. So, and it, it, the, the, the serious stuff has started. Um, yeah, I don't know what history will say if it's, the kid in Kenosha shooting, shooting the three. And by the way, did you see the profiles of the, of the three people that he shot? I mean, the kid deserves a medal. One of them was a pedophile. I think the other, one of the other ones was a rapist. I mean, like, well done, son. Not nice shooting text. You know what I mean? Well, there's another tactical lesson to be learned in that. In one case, the, I guess uh, a couple of people started rushing him after he tripped and fell to the ground he shot one person, I think possibly in the head, and the whole group stopped at that point. And it goes back to a study that um, came, I, I, don't, I cannot find this study. If I could find it, I would link it. But this was a discussion that happened in the workplace years ago, and, and somebody found this document. Some statistician who collected statistics from like the mid to late 70s up through the early 90s wanted to answer the question, what is the number one bullet round for one-shot kills? And he defined kills as stopping the threat, and it turns out to be a twenty-two long rifle, which doesn't make any sense when you think about really? it. Really? 
That's well, shocking. <laughs> well, then that then that gets into the secondary question: Why does that work? Because the number one reason, or the number one factor in stopping the threat, the person from becoming from being a threat to not being a threat to either stopping or, or retreating, is getting shot in the first place. So that kid, when he tripped and fell on the ground, and people could have overwhelmed him easily, he shoots one person who drops dead, and the people around that person say, I don't exactly want to do that. And yeah. I, I, there's a scene in, in the, um, the movie Tombstone where, where um, the guy playing, um, <laughs> not Doc Holliday, it's, it's the law guy. Um, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. He's got, he's got a 44 Magnum up to somebody's forehead and, and saying, okay, you guys can all rush me, and you'll, 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 you'll t- definitely overrun me and, and kill me, but I'm going to get some of you first. And just on that thread Not alone. Not until I turn your head into a canoe, Ike. And Ike says, he's serious, back off. <laughs> yeah, he's not bluffing. And, and the point there being is that, yes, the crowd acting as, as you know, the group acting as eight on one definitely could have could have taken him. He may have gotten two or three of them in the process, but they're, mm-hmm. they're not that brave. And so yep. if you're willing to stand your ground and, and, and take the consequences of it, you know, the number one factor for for a threat ceasing to be a threat is simply getting shot and if you are part Mm -hmm. of a group and one of your group gets shot you got shot psychologically you got shot and that's what stopped that group that's why that kid is still alive and possibly facing charges as opposed to have been overrun having his rifle taken away from him and getting shot 50 times yep those those uh adult children and that's what they are um i think they kind of I assume psychologically a lot of them are operating in kind of a quasi borderline state where they're they're regarding all of this as like a video game like they're playing I don't even know what are the shoot 'em up video games grand theft auto or whatever Halo, that it's like a, like like it's a video game when you see your boy get shot in the head and then um Another one got sh- another one was fatally shot, and then the guy with the with the rather significant portion of his arm blown off. Um, I'd be interested to know if they if they were able to save that arm or if that arm had to come off. I think that the, was I think the kid with the AR-15 got shot in the arm, and apparently it wasn't a shooting arm because he returned fire at the guy who shot him and and shot him dead. No, I thought I thought the guy with his arm blown off was was the non lethal third that the kid got. Am I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, check and check then, the and news. I mean, they, because the- I made, I made a post showing that the cops came up and you know, this, this guy was sitting there with a piece of his arm blown off and the cops came up and got him and, and escorted him away. And the point that I made, assuming that it, that the guy with his arm blown off was the, was the non-lethal third. Um, that the cops went in and helped one of the went in and helped one of the protesters. And that, that is the morally correct thing to do. And in fact, somebody sent me an email and reminded me that um, in Twain's uh, treatment of St. Joan of Arc, there's an anecdote in there that she, she ministered and comforted. I ministered is not the right word, obviously, but she comforted um, English soldiers who were, on the field of battle dying. And if she was in proximity to a guy who was mortally wounded, that she was actually trying to comfort English soldiers who had fallen and were in the process of dying. 
Um, Help yeah. them make a good death. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, and people are saying, no, Anne, you're wrong. You're wrong. The, the cops, assuming that, that, that the guy with his arm blown off was, was on the other side. No, you should have just let him sit there. You should have just let him sit there and go into shock because he's an animal and he's just going to come back. He's just going to come back and he's going to kill you. And it's, I, what movie is that? Like saving private Ryan, that, that whole moral question comes up, um, he failed, uh, someone failed to kill a Nazi and base and out of cowardice and whatever. And then ultimately that Nazi ended up coming back and killing, you know, confreres. And, um, but then in the end, the, the, the little Weasley kid up does end up shooting the Nazi. Um, but allegedly the lesson there is, is he should have just shot him in the first place. Well, that's, that gets into, that gets into war ethics, doesn't it? I mean, what do you do? Do you help the enemy? I I put in my post, if it's prudent um, and you can without putting yourself and, and your confreres at, at enormous risk and you can offer assistance, you probably should. Um, it's one, it's one of the spiritual or so one of the um, corporal works of mercy. It, it seems to me it would fall under that category. Um, that, that gets into questions that you talk, talking about the war situation like that. I, I, I would, you know, it's, it's definitely merciful to let the guy live, but it, it would also be, it would not be imprudent to say, break a trigger finger yeah, or, or to make it impossible in the same sense, going back to the, you know, the ancient Greek wars or whatever they would, it, the, the captured horses, they would slit the Achilles heel on, on, on the horses, making them, you know, useless for, for war purposes. Uh, let the guy live, make him useless as a soldier. Is that yeah. wrong? I don't know. I to, to you know, <laughs> let me know. Email it. Podcast, yeah. Email podcast. Podcast <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this is, this is things that here we sit and, we literally have to be sitting here thinking about this. All right, what do I do? What am I going to do when the time comes? You know, how am I going to react in these in this horrific war situation with without any of the rules of war? No Geneva, none of that. None of that is in play, folks. Don't even kill yourself. These people on the other side observe absolutely no standards of human decency or anything like that. Um, so we're going to be, we're going to be seeing raping. We're going to be there. I mean, they're already pillaging. That's what the looting is, but it's just a matter of time before this all descends into, um, sexual violence and as a means of terrorism and so on and so forth. So, which brings us around back around to the topic of, of diversion, which was uh, general confession and, that really was the first point. That's just our first bullet point, by the way. Um, so that that was the first bullet point talking about the sacraments. And the second bullet point I had, or the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth bullet points were all about the mass. So at some point in time, whether we are able to get to mass or, you know, at some point, I, I'm, I think China is the, is the template for what's going to happen here. The The Catholic Church, the proper Catholic Church is going to be driven underground. And uh-huh. the, the fake Catholic church, the false church, is going to be what's uh, officially allowed. Uh-huh. So we're going to have the underground church probably sooner than, than we think. So the ability to have masses is going to be important. 
Uh, if you can find a priest uh, in the underground, make contact, and, and whether it's a house mass or something, he's not going to be carrying everything with him to say mass necessarily. He might have a stole. He might be traveling stealth so that he doesn't uh, immediately arouse suspicion if they don't have a make on him already uh, and, and search his pockets and see priest stuff in his pockets. Uh, you might want to carry an altar stone or a Greek corporal, have hosts and wine, know how to make hosts. They're not terribly difficult to make. Um, know where to buy them and store them in advance if you want to do it, go that way. Have altar cards, which you can download PDFs and print them. Yeah, altar you can missiles, just print them off. Yeah. Altar missiles are a little, more, little bit more difficult. I had meant to email Father Z and find out if there are actually PDFs of, of uh, altar missiles that, that are valid that can be used. I think in, in an emergency, the priest can always say a votive mass, regardless of what the feast is. And I want to say, well, these were SSPX priests. I don't know how general of a, of a thing this is, that part of the requirement for passing... Um, the the priest boards whatever the, whatever the exams are called they had to have from memory the ability to say the entire one or two votive masses completely from memory one of them wow. was was the requiem because you're always going to deal with that as a priest probably and mm-hmm. another i think the other it was kind of an option they had a few but the the votive mass of our lady was the was the popular one because sure. you're going to end up saying it 13 times a year anyway uh, especially the 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 one for first Saturdays and also the feast of the uh, immaculate or not the immaculate conception but the immaculate heart which just mm-hmm. happened last Saturday, so and, and and I don't know how many priests have that memorized but using that as a guide that at the very least you could have those printed out and I will make this as a to do for myself to go find out uh, where I can where I can get PDFs of of the bare essential masses to have on hand. Because having an entire altar missile, that's kind of a lavish item. First off, it's not cheap. Secondly, it's not common. You can't just go to Amazon and buy one. And if you can, it's going to be in the thousands because these yeah. are not these are specialty items. Um, so altar missiles, if you if you have it or or an equivalent, and and ask ask the priests. Maybe they might have an extra sitting around someplace. And if you're somebody who's preparing uh, for an underground scenario, they might give you one to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything to add on on this on this point? Well, you're you'd be the designated neighborhood person, and um, in terms of the other stuff, Saint Joseph's Workshop is, I believe, the company that makes the portable altars. As I understand it, obviously they are completely backlogged for like a long time. But if if you want to get your name on a list with um, oh, St. Joseph's Apprentice, St. Joseph's Apprentice is what it's called, um, and get yourself on a list to order a portable altar from them, I would recommend doing that. But I think I know people who've been waiting for one of those for, it's got to be close to, if not over a year by now. But it, you it know. might be easier to get a custom AR-15 and 20,000 rounds of ammo at this point. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we've, it's, it's interesting. Um, so, someone was saying something yesterday, day before yesterday, whatever. Cause I made just a very brief little post about, you know, things to buy guys don't it, buy a bunch of spaghetti or, or angel hair pasta. Cause it's compact and you know, things like that. I just went through a little list of things and someone said, why is Ann Barnhart talking about prepping all of a sudden? She's been she's been 
criticizing people who've been talking about that. I don't even, I can't even imagine where anyone is getting that. I've been talking about prepping for almost 15 years. I've been talking about civil war, economic collapse, civilizational collapse, entering into a phase that would make the French Revolution look tame. I think I've done at at least 10 episodes with um, the father and son duo who do the Reluctant Preppers um, podcast. And if if you want to look that up, I have, have, like I said, I think I have almost 10 episodes of their podcast that I've done with them over the years. Reluctant Preppers, just go on YouTube and type in Reluctant Preppers Barnhart and all the episodes that I've done will come will come right up. I've been talking about this for years at a certain point. And I, and we're there now. I mean, it's all happening folks. It's, it's all happening to a certain extent. Now, if you don't have certain ducks in a row, if you're just now starting into this process, um, I mean, you're going to be significantly behind the eight ball because it, it's not impossible, but you, you're you not going to be able to have a fully prepped out scenario like yeah. you might have wanted, like you might have had if you started doing this 10 years ago. And that's, you know, there's 101 reasons why that that was valid for anybody. We're not we're not not talking down at anybody. I mean, I'm not fully supported to go out in, in, in a situation and, and, and go to ground for 15 years. I mean. Let's be honest. I'm a computer dude uh, in, in the edge of, of suburbia. It's I, I'm you know part of my planning was was moving to an area where if things got crazy and the mob start heading for suburban zones, they've got to go a long way to get to me. That was my uh-huh. that was a big part of my prepping was voting with my feet and moving to a situation where uh, I'm not the first target. Uh-huh. And I've got an easy egress away from the city at that point. That that literally was part of the planning. I mean, not that it was expected, but that was part of the part of the thought process. Also, you know, gardening. You mentioned you mentioned food storage. Uh, you, you sort of got into that mm-hmm. um, canning and food storage. And in in the case of getting plenty of pasta, uh, if there's nothing wrong with getting five years of pasta, but if you do, whether it's rice or beans or pasta or thing food to keep, mm-hmm. most of this stuff, if you buy it um, and you hold it in, in your pantry for over six months, you run the risk of bugs getting in there and eating it and, and hatching eggs and things like that. You have to um, store it and prepare it appropriately. And this is one area where the internet is actually really good. And you mentioned YouTube already, Reluctant Preppers. I'm not familiar with their channel, except I do remember once you said it that that your your um, interviews have been on there. Mm-hmm. But I've been I've been looking at a, at a ton of videos about canning and food storage. Um, like for example, dry storing uh, things like rice and beans, or dry canning, I should say. So you, you can get just like a bag of rice at, at Walmart, like a 25 pound bag at Walmart or Sam's, or, or big bags of pinto beans, and then dry can those in quart or half gallon. Uh, containers and if you do it correctly and it's not too hard to do it correctly those will be fine for 15 years and yeah and, and this is something where you're not putting the oxygen packets in there it's actually canning you're raising the heat uh on the on the the food the rice the beans the whatever you're raising the heat to the point that it's like 250 degrees for 30 minutes or 45 minutes the whole point is any bugs or any larva or any eggs that are in there it kills them dead uh-huh. and at that point then you use the the natural you know, mechanism of heat, 
put the lid on, on the thing and it will make a vacuum seal. And that's good for, like I said, up to 15 years. Different kinds of foods. There's different ways of doing it. There, You can also seal food into Mylar bags with oxygen absorbers. And there are tons and tons and tons of videos on YouTube to help you out with figuring out how to do things like this and what's the most appropriate way to do this stuff. And this stuff is not yet sold out on Amazon because I just bought a bunch of stuff for food storage and, and preparing to do this. Um, five. There's also emergency food that's basically food in it's almost everything's canned and it's 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 supposed to be halfway between or, you know, kind of like um, uh, military rations, but better, but better than that, tastier than that. What I don't like about that is that you're I'll I'll have to find this this video um, talking about the different kinds of, of, of prepping. Uh, or different kind of pantry prepping. And one one type of prepping is is that you don't actually use what you have on hand unless things completely go pear-shaped. Right. I don't recommend that. Uh, the The term I like is, is what's called, I didn't even know it was called this until I saw it on a video, but just, we've been doing it for years now. It's what's called a, a, a an active, I just had it in my head now, um, living pantry, active pantry. It's something along those lines. In other words, you're using what you're actually storing. So if you go get uh, cans of tuna, so like entire, if you go to Sam's or Costco, mm-hmm. just buy an entire box of, of the, the the cans of tuna, mm-hmm. you just pay attention to what's the expiration date and whatever the, the lowest number is, that's the one you're going to eat next. And so the idea is it's a working pantry. That's the term, working pantry. Um, so you're, you're using what you have on stock as opposed to waiting for doomsday to happen, then you actually start using it. The problem with those storable foods and freeze-dried stuff and the, the, the Alex Jones specials of 25-year shelf life food is typically you don't think to actually open and use that until you absolutely have nothing else. And part of the reason you're not doing that is it's so damn expensive. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going through the process of using a, a, a working pantry, even stuff that only has a two-year shelf life. Okay, if everything goes pear-shaped in November and you stocked up in September, two years is more than enough. You're not trying to keep a 10-year supply of food. And if that is your goal, then obviously check more of these YouTube videos for figuring out how to dry can and store things and in, 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 you know, where you're removing all the oxygen. You can actually store things in Mylar bags for 5, 10, 15 years go for it. If that's what makes you happy, cool. There's ways to do it. But realistically, six to 12 months is the luxury goal. Well, for me, it's a luxury because I'm not there. But if you can do six to 12 months, you're about five to 11 months beyond everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thought that that the U.S. would collapse, full-blown civil war, that you're going to be able to stay in the same place. That's the other thing. Um, I will say that one one advantage, and I pulled up the the company that I use, it's mountainhouse.com for emergency food. And yes, it is expensive. The benefit that it has is it's, it's packed into boxes. And so if you get into a, oh crap, we have to get out of here, you can load this stuff up into a vehicle quickly. Whereas if you have a working pantry, it's going to, it's going to be a lot more, it's going to take a lot of time to pack and move that stuff and get it loaded. 
Um, Unless so, you've got a go bag or a go crate ready to go. Right, right. And I mean, you can, yeah, you can pre-prepare for that and get everything into into plastic crates and, and so on and so forth. But you need to be aware of that. You need to be thinking, all right, I've got all this food. If if the the looters come and they're they're burning down neighborhoods and they're coming to burn our house down got to be able to get that thing loaded up get the food loaded up and get out of there and get moving quickly you don't have the luxury of of taking a week to move if it gets to the point where you have to evacuate it's we're talking about you'll have maybe an hour maybe an hour to get loaded and get out um yeah, the the the, ter- the term is bugging out, and, mm-hmm. and or and, or so you have a a bag that's specifically designed for a bug out situation, or or what's called a go bag in military terms. In other words, you hear the word go, grab your bag and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a family, I would imagine thirty minutes is probably what you'd have, and that, mm-hmm. this would be like what's bare essential clothes for each of the kids. What's going to be the most compact food you could possibly take with you? Um, water filtration, things like that. Yeah. Um, you, you're you not going to have a lot of time and you won't have time to pack all that if you get the word, you got 20 minutes to leave, go. If yeah. This is the situation where you've got to have duffel bags pre, pre-packed in advance. Yep. You know, go to Goodwill and buy the clothes that you're, you're going to have to you know, hit the road with and hopefully you never have to fall back on those. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a good a good use of the freeze dried food because the, the density of of density ratio of the, of of those foods is so great Mm -hmm. or pasta in that case. Uh, Well, you know, non Vinnie Mark, I was chatting with him and I, we were talking about tuna, which is not my favorite thing, but I, I have a significant amount of tuna and I was thinking still, and I kind of still am in culinary terms when I'm making tuna salad or whatever, I prefer the tuna that's packed in water. And non-Vinnie Mark is like, no, 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 no. If you're if you're for real about this, buy the tuna packed in oil. Why? Look at the calories per dollar that you're getting from tuna packed in oil versus tuna packed in water. The, the oil is basically just like bonus calories. And it's so odd, especially for someone like me at this point in, in my life, thinking thinking thoughts like, I need to maximize the amount of calories that I have access to. This is not a thought that that runs through my head at all in in normal baseline circumstances. Um, and I've never been in an in an instance in my life where I was thinking that I ne- have ever needed to maximize calories. It it will probably eventually get to that. One of the things you can do is when you buy the tuna, even though you might not like it, prefer the taste of it buy the tuna packed in oil because that's just, I mean, I don't even know. That's probably an extra hundred calories in every little can of tuna. Just the difference of whether it's packed in water or oil. And, and little bits of things that go a long way. Um, spices. So mm-hmm. I, I, one of my Friday favorites is a can of tuna with mayonnaise and dill pickle relish and Frank's wing sauce. Yeah. And that's a, which my wife tells me is this, I, I've essentially dip, duplicated um, buffalo tuna dip, but hey, it, it tastes good. And it 
it it doesn't take a lot of the the spicy stuff to to go a long way. And when you were, I, I've heard that in a survival situation where you're eating beans and rice every day, a lot of people will get to a point where they say, "Forget it, I'm not going to eat this anymore," because there's this exhaustion of eating mm-hmm. the same damn bland food every single day. Yep. Packets of chili powder or hot sauce or you know, whatever. I mean, Worcestershire I'm, sauce. Yeah. I don't know. What whatever makes your your food flavorful. Yeah. You know, pink Himalayan sea salt if that's if that's what makes you happy. Well, salt, I mean, n- not enough can be said about salt. Salt is <laughs> our Lord is using salt as a metaphor and you are the salt of the earth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just try sometime um to to make to have to make like broth that has no salt in it or I don't know, make lentils or anything, anything. The difference between food that is unsalted and food that is salted, it's just, it's absolutely enormous. And yeah, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get bored of anything eventually, but brother, let me tell you, you're going to get food boredom exhaustion like 10 times faster if you don't have any salt. Because a lot of things, when they don't have any salt, just end up, it's, you, you feel like you're eating, you end up like you're eating Crisco or something. It just, it's, it's so bland on your palate that you, you can get to the point where you're, you're gagging, trying to eat some of this stuff. Salt is what cures all that. Salt is by far the most important thing, I would say. And then, you know, for, for, us Americans who have a who have a palate for the spiciness, red pepper or Tabasco or Frank's hot sauce, something like that. Just anything to change it up. Anything to change it up. The last the last couple of things I want to say on this as well. I mean, let's forget the bug out situation, but also just stretching what you have on hand, learning how to garden. And again, fall back on YouTube for this. If you search on YouTube for a small footprint gardening. Even if you have a large footprint garden, I mean, the, the principles that work for small print or small footprint, just scale it up. Lots of awesome um, videos on that. Tons of people around the world who, in all climates, and that's a great thing also, figure it out for your climate, what works for you. I mean, if you're in Minnesota, the advice for Southern Alabama is not going to be quite the same. Um, know what plants you can eat in your area. If If you have to bug out, if you have to leave, know what plants you're able to eat. I mean, you could survive. It's it's one of these things that my, my kids were surprised when I, when I pointed this out. Every spring, we have all the dandelions coming up. And yeah. I said, hey, pull the dandelions and save the leaves. I'm like, why? We can eat them for salad. Uh-huh. They said, really? It's like, you don't remember on the three times a year I take you to dinner at some restaurant that they have the salad has those leaves that look like a dandelion. They looked at the dandelion again. I was like, Really? You can eat these? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there you can eat. And medicinally, I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that if you know what you're looking for in the woods, you can basically treat yourself if you don't have a, a full medicine cabinet. And I didn't have that in my notes either. Darn it. Um, medicines. I mean, at the very, at the bare minimum, ibuprofen and um, disinfectants, which I think don't know if I had alcohol on here, like uh, whiskey or something like that. Not just for making you feel better and you know and alleviating the, the 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 awareness that you have to bug out in the first place, but also for disinfecting cuts and things like that. Um, having a, having the knowledge of what plants you can use for medicinal purposes, and there are 
books on, on YouTube. I said that wrong. There are videos on YouTube and books on Amazon all about, you know, basically the medicine cabinet right outside your door in the wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, the Indians did this for hundreds of years. Actually, not just them, it's just everybody around the world. I, I think sure. about that because I'm in the middle of the United States and we had people here before we got here called Indians. And they knew how to heal themselves and do all the pharmaceutical stuff just with what grew out of the ground. Well, you're just proving your your bona fides as the as the Nazi pedophile that you are that we have been that we have been reliably assured that you are. So you're it's not surprising at all that you would call the the indigenous First Nations people by that that horrible racist Nazi like epithet that you just did. But it's par for the course with you, right? Wait, is this crazy Niles all of a sudden? Yes, <laughs> we've been we've been having uh, numerous chuckles about all of that. So yes, as long as we these podcasts are typically uh, tangents, we were talking about the SSP. No, we were talking about Michael Voris on, on the last podcast that we did, and mm-hmm. some somebody told on us and and told Christine Niles that we were talking about about uh, her man Michael Voris. And uh, now, she, now, she, be she, nice. I didn't say what kind of man. I just, okay. Anyway, she, moving she, right she, along. She emailed. She emailed the podcast, and among all the things that you could have taken taken into uh, account for fact checking was his hair. And I was like, really? Yeah, that was the thing that she was by far the most concerned about. <laughs> Shut up. Leave Michael Voris's hair alone. Leave him alone. Oh, there's the cold open right there. It could, it could be. You know, and, and, oh, and that's good. And in my snarky reply to her, and I admit it was snarky, but uh, I said it could, it could have been a video artifact, but I could have sworn I saw a chin strap once. So I, I thought that was a rug. <laughs> but anyway. Then, but then you had to cut yourself off because you were just to the part in Archbishop Lefebvre's autobiography where his father was being murdered by the Nazis in, in the camp. So, yeah. Yeah. He, that, yeah. So this this camp. Yeah, this tangent all at the service of, you know, uh, Anne saying that I must be a Nazi pedophile or some something like that. Now I just I have a little bit of history at the SSPX is one way of putting it. Uh, no, so we were talking about edible plants and, and knowing your area, what you can eat. And uh, my bullet points are out of order. I talked earlier about uh, sacramentals and, and the things necessary for if you can find a priest and, and, and uh, have mass. Have things like rosaries and scapulars. You want uh-huh. to talk about AR-15 ammo is hard to get right now. How about waiting until it's too late to try to get rosaries and scapulars? Right. Tons of tons of of, of stories about the the um, about the the power of, of the prayers, of the rosary, about the power of the scapular. Um, Our Lady has said numerous times that it's it's going to be through the rosary and the scapular and devotion to her that uh, the church will be rebuilt in the end times and that the the saints of the latter times the actual saints, not Latter-day Saints, that that the saints are going to be saved and, and there's, they're going to be the greatest saints of all time. So rosaries and scapulars and know how to use them. Um, and fivefold scapulars too. If you're not familiar with that one, I mean, everyone knows about the brown scapular because if you've heard the word scapular, typically it's been brown scapular. Right. A fivefold scapular is five scapulars, red, white, blue, brown, and black. And my mom used to use the phrase, what would you rather have? Me giving you twenty dollars a day or a hundred dollars a day, so why would you wear just one scapular as opposed to a five fold scapular? 
I don't know if the metaphysical translation works exactly that way, but there is valid point to be made there. And definitely have devotion to all of the, the scapulars involved in that. I mean, the red scapular, obviously the precious blood, whereas the sacred heart. Okay, I need to look this up. <laughs> the white scapulars to the to the to the to the Holy Ghost. I know that one. Uh, the blue one has to be to Our Lady. Um, the the brown one is the brown one, and the black one I think is to the sorrows. Mm, okay. I really should have done some looking up before <laughs> before I opened on this this topic, but um, I will make a note to look this up since we're canning this episode anyway, and we're going to use it later. Maybe I'll have the link ready. Oh, I found it. I found it. Okay. Um, red scapular of the passion, blue of the immaculate conception, brown Our Lady of Mount Carmel, black mother of sorrows, and white scapular of the Trinity. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's five. Mm-hmm. Well, I had the colors right. Yep. And I was one third right on the white. I had I said it was Holy Ghost. It's actually the Trinity. So I will find a link to this and put it in the show notes. And um, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I have I have a scapular story. I had I bought a um, a metal replacement brown scapular. You can't buy a metal one as your first brown scapular. It has to be a replacement. But the one that I bought, the chain, the necklace part of it, was really super thin and fine. And sure enough, it was so thin and so fine that it broke. Just, just from me, just from like in bed, you know, just rolling around and having it on in bed, um, it broke. So if you get a metal brown scapular, don't get the one, and you'll know it when you see it, where the chain is super duper fine. It's, it's, it's the finest chain, uh, necklace chain I have ever had in my life by far. Don't get don't get that. Get one with a heavier, more substantial metal chain. Just pro tip. Well, it's it's a weapon of war. It's it, it's a it's a defense. It's a spiritual defense, and so treat it as such. And in the finest sense, we mentioned AR-15s numerous times on this podcast. That is a weapon platform that is it's like a Lego set. You can buy a custom mm-hmm. trigger for it. You can buy a custom upper for it, a different grip and handguard and, and all the rest. You can buy the fivefold metal scapular, the or the metal metal fivefold scapular or metal scapular. I mean, there's two different things there. I wore the, mm-hmm. the fivefold metal scapular when I was in the Navy, but uh, I, I got the scapular metal separate from the chain and then found a suitably, you know, heavy duty chain, to go with it. So the, yeah. the whole point was that this thing is not going to break. I didn't, I didn't uh, strength test it that much, but it never broke. So mm-hmm. mine did. So pro tip. Yep. Heavy duty. Yep. I'll uh, see. Oh, so we mentioned the idea of, of, you know, having the ability to, you know, ha- have a mass. If you can find a, a priest who's running around in the underground when it, when it gets to that point, Another thing is going to be communication, and this is something where you cannot fully prepare for this ahead of time. But having some, some, a few, you know, necessary bits and pieces, amateur radio is a good thing, and having shortwave radio is a good thing. Um, the internet is going to probably go away in a meaningful sense when the church goes underground. Uh-huh. So the you're going to need to figure out a way to communicate in an alternate manner. 
Now, if you are in a technology field and you are a programmer or a systems administrator or something where you are dealing with servers and technology, you probably, as as a part of your work, are going to have access to the internet, but you're probably going to be monitored a little bit more closely. Amateur radio is one of those things where it'll probably be monitored as well, and probably by artificial intelligence is my guess, in the same sense that everything going through Facebook, there's so much content going through Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all the other stuff. No human being or no group of human beings can be amassed large enough at commercial rates to actually monitor everything going through it. When it comes to amateur radio and actually scanning everything going through it, I suspect there's going to be an AI involved of some sort. And when I say AI, I'm not talking about actual sentience. I'm just talking about somebody wrote a bunch of detailed code to intercept all traffic going through and run it against a matching matching fuzzing pattern to see if it matches keywords and things like that. But there are still ways. um, If somebody sufficiently intrepid decides to start broadcasting, um, somebody who's listening on on shortwave or, or amateur radio frequencies you can't tell that necessarily so if, if if the time when the time comes somebody is probably going to set up a transmitter of some sort and so being able to receive even if there's no way i can tell you right now what to t- what frequency to tune to what mode etc all the rest but having the gear to be able to receive it might not be a bad idea. And I'll put a couple of links in the show notes for shortwave receivers that can listen to amateur radio or just shortwave in general. They, you know, the, the cheap ones are $50 and and they're pretty good ones. Uh, the more expensive ones, how much do you want to spend? I mean, a really good one is about 180 bucks. Uh, there are some good ones that are about a hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, for shortwave and, and uh, single sideband and, and a lot of the, um, without getting too geeky and going down the, down the track on this, a, AM radio uh, transmits on a carrier and then two sidebands. So it's about 9 kilohertz wide. Uh, most amateur radio in, in like 80 meters, 40 meters, 20 meters, whatever, they're doing single sideband. So you're taking half of the spectrum necessary for an AM transmission, which allows you to have a lot more conversations happening in the, the allocated spectrum. So... Most shortwave uh, radio shortwave radio stations are transmitting on full AM, and so the fifty dollars shortwave radio receiver is only going to be doing AM. The circuitry required for listening to single sideband is a little more complex, which is why it's more expensive. So that hundred dollar or two hundred dollar radio is going to be able to do uh, single sideband, and it's going to be more selective as well, so that you're able to narrow in on a particular frequency and then even be able to adjust the bandwidth you're you're selecting for, which Again, maybe this is something that will never be needed, but at some point in time, the ability to communicate covertly or catch a pirate transmission of some sort, if you don't have the the radio, you'll never get the message. And the ability to communicate is something that's always cracked down on in oppressive regimes. We don't even need a high-tech version of this. You look back in World War II, if you've got a radio transmitter, the Germans were there and they were taking it or taking control of you or watching everything you were doing or pointing a listening station at you the whole time. So the ability to receive transmissions is almost certainly going to be of paramount importance. And I can't say any more than that because I don't know any more than that at the point in time. I just imagine this is going to be something that will it'll be used because it has in the past. And old tricks are the best tricks. And we're going to come back to this one, I'm, I'm sure. 
And Father Z is a good resource for that. He's very much into ham radio and he has quite a bit of expertise in it. And I would recommend that if you're serious about it, contact him. Um, you can contact me too. I mean, I'm an amateur radio operator. I have been for 30 years now. I haven't been active the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't joined Father Z's group uh, simply because I don't want to give my call sign because I, basically I'd be giving my name and address at that point. But um, I'll answer questions about amateur radio if you if you want. In fact, I have had some questions come in through the podcast. Somebody want, who was doing a form of prepping wanted to know, you know, for a given fixed budget, what rec- what radio would I recommend? And I gave that person recommendations for transmit receive. I did not think to ask whether or not the the need to transmit was part of it. It was a good radio either way, but know that if if you if your budget is $200 you can get a really good um broad spectrum uh receiver that is going to receive AM uh sideband uh FM up to about you know 150 megahertz or so that's one of the things that, that the more expensive radios you're, you're going to have far more spectrum coverage and uh, frequency coverage as well from anywhere from half a megahertz up to 1300 megahertz or beyond um if if you have questions about this, yeah, Father Z is a good source, and or he'll probably just point you at the at his uh, amateur radio dude who who runs his uh, amateur radio group. You can email me, and worst I'm going to tell you is I don't know, and here's who you should email. Mm-hmm. What else? What else do we have on the list? There's so much. Oh, um, someone emailed me and said if you have any dental anything that needs to be done, like do it immediately, do it right now. Don't postpone anything. If even do anything preventative that you need to do um, in terms of dentistry, because boy, just about the last thing you want is to be in the middle of a war and have, you know, some, some tooth that needs a root canal or something like that. You know, do that, it now. that makes me think of the, again, of the underground church in China. And I don't remember if this was something that went along with being um, elected and consecrated to be a bishop in the underground church. But uh, I, be- I believe a lot of them get their teeth pulled. And the whole point is, and then dentures assigned, but the whole point is that when they get arrested, not if, but when they get arrested and go to prison, you think Chinese prison is going to give you dental care? Heck no. So uh-huh. they, they proactively pull teeth. And, and make sure that you are long-term survivable without dental care, without brushing and flossing and all the rest. So, yes, wow. dental care is very important. And I seem to recall a factoid, although no way I'm going to remember where the link for this went. But uh, the, the number one reason for troops being uh, ineligible for deployment was for dental reasons. Outside really? Outside of groups like the SEALs where they train so hard they kill themselves and get injured big time. But for normal, ordinary vanilla uh, organizations, the one of the number one reasons, and I'm set aside females who get pregnant so they can avoid deployment, dental was the number one reason. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So get that done. If nothing else, just go get a cleaning and make sure you're squared away. Um, and then... I, I, I've always been big on get your eyes fixed. If you're hemming and hawing on that, um, whether it's LASIK, whether it's whether you're older and you have cataracts and you're looking at potentially doing lens replacement, man, get after it. 
absolutely get after it. Me, my ocular implants is one of the best things I've, I've ever done. Um, I can't imagine having, being dependent and being, um, especially as blind as I was before I got the implants, um, being vulnerable to, to essentially being completely blind just by having my glasses taken away from me or contact lenses taken away from me. Um, you get your eyes fixed, whether it's LASIK or implants, there's nothing they can do. They can't take it away unless they gouge your eyes out, which, you know, that is something that, that, um, communist regimes do, but they'd have to do that. Um, I can't be sidelined because somebody takes my glasses away because I don't have glasses anymore at all. Um, I was 2010 when the implants were first put in and I've now settled down to 2020. So, you know, no problem. Um, if you've been hemming and hawing about that and you can still get it done, get it done, whatever it is. I'm, I'm in the opposite boat uh, from a optical prescription uh, standpoint from you, I think. I, I have started using glasses for reading, and I've noticed that they're, they're well, for working as well. It, it, I've noticed that I, I cannot hold my phone far enough away from me because my arms just aren't long enough to be able to get to the point where I can focus on it unless I put my glasses on. If I'm using my MacBook where it's got the nice retina screen, I cannot focus on it. <laughs> unless I've got my glasses wow. on. Now, wow. for work I use a, a a large 4K display and I've got that thing boosted up to big, you know, large large print edition so I I can at least can work without having to put my glasses on. Uh although every once in a while that I still have to put them on anyway because color schemes are what they are. But uh yeah, if if you are in a situation where you can't read without glasses, well, for one thing, I guess if they shove a contract in front of you saying you will sign this pig, I don't know, I can't read it. Um, but, uh, the, knowing that you may not be able to resupply on reading glasses, probably want to do that now. And I'm saying this as much to myself as anybody else. And consider, um, you can't synthetic lenses actually now are so advanced that if you get a total lens replacement, you don't have any more, um, reading difficulty because the new synthetic lenses now have the ability, they, they, they attach your muscles, your eye muscles to the lens. The reason why you can't read when you get older is because your natural lens inside your eyeball starts to get hard. And what needs to happen when you focus on something very close or reading is that the, the, the lens inside your eyeball needs to be squished. It needs to be push, pushed down thin as your lens hardens as you get older, it can't, it can't squish. That's why you can't focus on things that are very, very close. If you get a total lens replacement, they're now so advanced and that the, the, the new synthetic lenses are squishy and they sew the synthetic lens into your muscles inside of your eye that do the, the squishing. And you're back, you're basically back to being 15 years old again. You have no cataracts. You have a perfect prescription. The lens is perfectly custom made for you and it's squishable and it's, it's integrated into your own musculature so that you're able to, um, there's no aged reading, difficulty anymore. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, 
that, but it's a major surgery, obviously you're, I mean, it's not, it's not super major. It's not like having your chest cracked or anything like that, but it's a, it's a, I think it's a general anesthetic. Well, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't even a general anesthetic. I don't know. Um, but it's not trivial. You don't roll in in one afternoon and say, Hey, I'd like to have both of my lenses replaced. Let's do it now. No, 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 no. It takes a while to get everything get everything done and set up and measure measurements taken and everything. But if it could, if it could completely eliminate all vision problems for the rest of your natural life, I, I think tactically it's, that's a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I, I definitely have thought about that with regard to what you've said about how big of a difference it made for you personally. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I'm, it's just a matter of holding something far enough away from me so I can read it. I, I, it's not that I can't read it. It's it's like one of those edge cases, right? Do I really want to go the route of have my eyes cut to, you know, to, to have this procedure done when I don't really have um, a problem otherwise? In fact, right. the, the odd thing is I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'll, 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 while I'm waiting for people, you know, the, the rest of the kids or whatever to get out of the house and get into the car to go someplace, I'll have my glasses on looking at my phone and then I'll start backing out and like, why is everything so blurry all of a sudden? I realize I haven't taken my glasses off yet. So I'm in that opposite situation. But um, so the, the other thing is, is, is if you find a pair of good um, pharmacy reading glasses that work for you, why not buy about half a dozen pair, you know? So that when one pair gets broken, you've you've got a stash to go to. Exactly. That's what I would do. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what I'm planning. Mm-hmm. And just hoping that my eyes don't degrade before I run out of my stash. Right. So I've gone through my bullet points, but you've got a a list that's uh, non-trivial, and I think we can go through a lot of these are, are very similar. It has to do with personal hygiene. You you've hit on some of these already. Um, things like toothbrushes, floss. Um, uh-huh. Washing machines, <laughs> um, things that you may not immediately think of, but this is stuff that needs to be in your go bag. Um, toothpaste, um, having a shovel with you at all time, and you you had the blog post about latrining. Yep, absolutely. I would buy a, just a little garden shovel, you know, the little garden trowel. I, I mean, ideally, and if you're if you've got a family and there's um, and you're cut off from a sewer system. Um, you would want to dig a latrine with a full-size shovel, spade, whatever. But if you're on the move and you're on the go, uh, just a hand, just a hand trowel would be sufficient to be able to do your business and and bury it and and not leave tracks. You know, if you're if you're being tracked, um, or get get the military version, which is called an e-tool, which is. I think it's called it's short for entrenching tool. It's one of those mm. fold, it's one of those folding shovels that um, it's good for digging a, a a fighting position five feet deep or for digging a hole twelve inches deep for doing your duty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what did what else did you mention? Oh, toothbrushes. Toothpaste actually is not one hundred percent necessary. It's kind of a luxury. And the other thing about toothpaste is that we have all been completely conditioned to think that our mouth is not clean unless we taste mint or something, you know, toothpaste flavored. Um, it's it's 
pretty much a luxury. It's not necessary. The key with, with cleaning your teeth, with brushing your teeth is the abrasion that that's, that's the whole thing. Um, so don't freak out like, Oh, we got it. We have to have toothpaste. We have to have, or, you know, um, what are the powders called? Um, I forget. I forget. There's a official name for, for tooth powder. Um, baking you don't, soda? Well, yeah, it's basically baking soda, but there's a dentifrice, dentifrice. Um, you don't need dentifrice all, but what you do need is something with which to abrade your teeth with, you know, get some, get some friction and some brushing going on in there. Buy a bunch of toothbrushes. Toothbrushes are dirt, dirt cheap. Um, get a, bunch of them. And, um, I've always used, I, I, I had, I brushed my gums away when I was a teenager and in college, I brushed my teeth way too much. Every time, I mean, I would get up in the morning and brush my teeth twice. And then every time I left the house, especially when I was in college and you're going back and forth and back and forth to class, Every time I left the house, I would be brushing my teeth. So I was brushing my teeth a dozen times a day easily. And I ended up um, brushing a lot of my gum tissue away and I had to have gum grafts. And so my periodontist, you know, very converted me and said, you need to not be brushing your teeth um, 10 times a day. You need to use a soft bristled toothbrush because your gums do have do have the risk of receding. They're prone, they're prone to recession. So you need to be careful with this. Um, I don't think anyone should be using a super hard toothbrush. I think it's way too hard on your gums and that's going to be the big issue. It's not so much your teeth, it's your gums and taking care of your gums because you don't want that all just exploding into infection and, and all of that. It's, it's going to be a delicate enough situation as it is not having full access to sanitation, um, really protect the gums and don't, um, don't challenge them. Don't overburden them by having a super hard toothbrush, get, get either soft or probably just medium. I think, I think medium toothbrushes are, are great for most people and just, buy dozens and dozens and dozens of toothbrushes and be ready to go and floss. I love the little, um, I now exclusively, instead of, instead of using the floss that's on the, on the roll, um, I use those little floss. I don't even know what you call those things. A floss pick? The floss pick things. Yeah, man, those things are slick. And again, dirt, dirt cheap. And buy buy a couple of big bags of those floss pick plastic things, and you're you're going to be good to go for a good long time. You're going to be able to take care of your teeth. Extremely important. Um, what else? Razors. Yeah, um, I was going to say uh, the next trio of things was was wet wipes for just general sanitation, mineral deodorant or mm-hmm. salt deodorant is what I, I've used for quite a while. Yep, and it was, it was just something with that. I decided to try once cause I, I'd heard about it and I'm not all hippy dippy about this stuff, but I thought, Hey, you know, I could try it and throw it away and go back to, 
you know, spraying aerosol based, uh, aluminum based stuff, if that makes me happy. But I liked the, the mineral stuff and I like the oh, fact yeah. that like a $2 thing of it lasts me a year and a half. That's right. So the, 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 the one thing that, that, uh, causes me to replace that more frequently is if you drop it onto a hard surface, like a tile yep. floor or your, or your, <laughs> or, yep. or, or your I counter. Know. Yeah. That's, that's the reason why you want to have several of those in stock. It's not because that you actually go through it. When you drop and break the, the when you drop and break the salt thing, but it's cheap and it's it's not any sort of a hippy dippy thing. It works. It straight up works. You know, a lot of times with deodorant or antiperspirant deodorant, there's a masking dynamic going on, and that with the mineral salt stuff, folks, I'm telling you, you straight up do not smell for like. For me, um, it starts to wear off at about 24 hours. At 24 hours, I need to, I need to re rewash and reapply. I mean, I shower every day as it is, so this is generally not a problem. But I'm telling you, it isn't that it's covering anything up. It is totally inhibiting bacterial growth on your skin, which means that there is no stinky funky being produced at all. And it is, it's life-changing, life-changing to go from, um, you know, being, being a normal person that's kind of, kind of having to fight that a little bit, fighting body odor. I mean, we all do. There's, there's a few people that just don't have body odor at all, but most of us do. And man, the mineral salt deodorant stuff is a, is a, game changer, straight up game changer. So yes, highly recommend that it's dirt cheap, buy a bunch of them. Um, well, and I mentioned the wet wipes very quickly. If you're in a situation where you can't necessarily shower every single day, that is a great way and get the, get the unscented ones, but mm-hmm. that's a great way to really clean up really well. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's, I want to say that's like one of the number one or two things that troops stationed overseas ask for or appreciate when people send them care packages as wet wipes. Cause mm-hmm. especially the, the army and Marine Corps got, well, I don't know, but the Marines love being miserable. They're, they're, they're fun that way. But the, the army guys and the air force, um, dudes, they like to be a little more clean and wet wipes is a great way to do it when you're out in the field and you don't have access to a shower or a bath. Yep. And, um, oh, the other thing for ladies, especially consider, uh, consider your hairstyle. If you have a hairstyle right now, that's really high maintenance, lots of layers, you know, uh, if I were you, I would consider modifying that to something that can grow indefinitely. Um, and you're not going to look, you're not going to look weird. Um, I would modify I would modify the hairdo in order to facilitate growth, um, unchecked growth. I haven't, I haven't been to the beauty shop in when's the last time I went, it it was considerably before even the, even the lockdown. And now I can't go because you can't walk into a beauty shop without putting on the Sharia face diaper and I won't wear it. So I'm kind of resigned that my hair is just going to keep growing. Um, yeah, I wish I could get my, my ends trimmed and I don't know, maybe I'll try to, maybe I'll try to talk to a beautician and see if I, we can't do something where heck, maybe she even comes over to the house and, you know, Hey, bring, bring a pair of scissors and, 
we'll do this and I'll just clean my ends up and, you know, be ready to go. But it's just, it's just one of those things to consider that none of us have ever had to think about this before. What are you going to do if you can't get your hair cut? What are you going to do? I mean, it was funny at the, at the end of the lockdown, I knew multiple men who were, who were shaggy whose hair was shaggy. It was the longest their hair had ever been in their lives by far. Um, And it it was kind of coincidentally kind of, uh, you know, Easter. I think a lot of men were pretty shaggy around Easter. Hadn't been to the barber in months. Um, So just all these things that we've all taken for granted our entire life that we could do. Um, or, or something that I didn't quite appreciate until the lockdown and everyone started grousing about the fact that they couldn't go to the barbershop to get their hair cut is the fact that my wife cuts my hair. And there she's she's been, I don't know how long she's been cutting hair since she was 15. But um, mm-hmm. have, you, you have on the list here having good barber scissors. Well, oh, we, yeah. We've got a pretty decent hair cutting set. And, you know, so that's great. All It's not like my, my kids were all looking all shaggy and like they were feral or something. They all had neatly trimmed hair and I did too. And even though I'm working from home, um, anytime that I, I went out someplace, I, well, I stand out cause I won't wear a mask, but also because my hair looks pretty nice. So decent pair of barber scissors and a little bit of skill and how to, how to use them. And again, YouTube is your friend on this one. Uh, you can learn how to do darn near anything on YouTube. Um, whether it's building a house, literally uh, every single piece of it or cutting hair or what's the beginning phase. If you don't know nothing about cutting no hair, what's one-on-one, how to cut hair, how to use barber scissors, how to use a, an electric trimmer, all the rest. I mean, there's YouTube university is great for a lot of stuff. Yep. Absolutely. What else is on my list? Multivitamins. Oh, multivitamins. Heck yeah, man. Why not? Why not go buy just a great big, huge bunch of a big Costco size container of, you know, basically essentially Flintstones. Just look at the back label and look look back on the list of percentages and look at how many different um, minerals and vitamins are above 100% of the RDA. That's enough. That's going to keep you from getting scurvy. That's going to keep you from getting, I don't know, whatever copper deficiency is called. Everything has a name. Every every mineral deficiency has a has a weird, obscure name because people have been people used to get all these things quite frequently. Um, but if you're put in a situation where all you can eat is pasta for a, an indefinite amount of time. You are going to need to have all a supplement for all of these vitamins and minerals that you're not going to be getting from eating pasta. Just, just, and it's easy and it's cheap. Just go get a big bunch of Flintstones and take it. Um, or if you're if you're somewhat allergic to the idea of eating beans and rice. Maybe rethink that because I, I I don't remember where the source on this one and and. And somebody definitely email on on this one to fill me in, or I'll, I'll try to find the link before we uncan this one and put and publish it. But I want to say that beans and rice, that specific combo, has all the amino acids that mm. you need to sustain life indefinitely. Obviously, you're gonna be a little protein deficient on that, and you, there might be a lack of citrus. But I will take a note to look this up. And so, by the time you're hearing this, just go to the show notes page because. There's going to be a lag between when we when we record this and when we publish it. There's no official show number on this one yet, so 
Uh, there's almost certainly going to be an answer to this in the show notes, but beans and rice, if, if, if that's something you really hate and you like pasta as much as Anne does, you might want to rethink that um, simply from the fact that you won't have to ingest a ton of horse pill uh, multivitamins just to make up for the fact that, that you're basically taking nothing in nutrient-wise or you're just so lopsided on one side because that's your entire diet at the moment. The other thing that's super, super healthy is lentils. And lentils are also delicious, as long as you have some salt. Uh, But yeah, that's kind of the same idea that a human being, and I don't pretend to understand the nutrition profile, but a human being can pretty much just eat lentils and they're going to coast along pretty decently. So yeah, there's much to be said for these things. And going back to that deep ancient wisdom. Just look at what people have been eating for thousands of years and it's probably gives you a good indication, you know. There's there's two billion Chinese and they've just been pretty much eating rice consistently for how many thousand years now. So, you know, there's gotta be something to that. The next item you have on your list, uh, I really want to take a little bit of time. Not that we're we're at an hour and a half, but I want to talk about this one because I should have mentioned it sooner. Invest in a good multi-knife and not just multi-knife, I would say a good knife. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe this should be two things. Uh, one of my sons is really, really well, actually most of my sons, they love the idea of, of camping outside and, and getting in, well, maybe not survival situations. Maybe that's what I like to look at on YouTube and they like to watch the, the videos as well. Uh, there's one particular um, channel called the Gray Bearded Green Beret, who's an excellent source for things like how to build a bug out bag. And he's got at least two videos on this, one that was just recently updated because of all the politically correct crap going on right now. But he, it, it's it's a very common sense way of, 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 and he's not doing this from the sense of a, of a Green Beret. That's just his brand because he was a Green Beret for a long time. But it's very common sense. Try to try to be as innocuous as possible in the in the if you're going through an urban area, but the number one survival thing on the list of the 10 C's for survival is a cutting tool. Mm -hmm. That knife is the number one, most important thing you have. If you were stranded out somewhere in the wilderness somewhere, and you can have only one thing with you. It's going to be a knife because from that you can start to make tools. You can start, you can build the, the, you can start scraping the, the uh, bark off of, of, and, and processing plants to start making cordage. You can, you can start building the tools necessary to build a fire. You can start building a shelter. You can start building weapons. You can start building hunting gear that there are so many things you simply cannot do if you don't have that knife. So a, a good, a good knife goes a long way. And the biggest difference That's I would say, You'll need two. You'll need, most people will call it like a Swiss army knife, a multi-tool. That's not the same thing as your main knife, which is going to be more like a Bowie knife, a big fixed blade, big knife. Well, that's, that's your, that's your lifesaver right there. Fixed blade, full tang, but it doesn't need to be something 14 inches long, like a Tennessee toothpick or something like that. Four or five inches is enough. I mean that you, you can, you can process uh, a, a deer with that, no problem. Mm-hmm. And there's, you actually could get away with something like a Swiss Army knife. But one of the things that would be essential in that case is to have the the kind that are lock, uh, has has locking blades. So mm-hmm. it, an actual Victorinox Swiss Army knife is not going to be the right thing for this. But you could use like a Leatherman that has locking blades. 
So that's that's the one thing. If you're if you're doing some serious crass, you know, out, outdoor bush work or or survival situation, you don't want that blade closing down on your hand. So right. that that's got to be a locking blade. And I I'm not going to put a link in the show notes for this one. Go to Amazon. Uh, there's tons and tons of reviews, and Amazon in this case is something you probably want to take with a little bit of grain of salt. The people who are who are recommending things. Go check out the people who are, you know, the Pathfinder School or something like that on, on YouTube and all the stuff they recommend. All these expert survival people and just look at how many subscribers they have. Look at the comments on their videos. They all have gear uh, gear recommendations. They all have Amazon affiliate stores. And and the those guys who have literally done this to save their lives <laughs> or, or to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. In, in the case of Green Berets, they literally are trained to live off the land. In, in a hostile, non-permissive environment, and they know what they're doing. Um, they Their gear list is going to be expensive, but it's also going to be the kind of thing where you literally could bet your life on it, and as long as you know how to use the tools, it's going to work. But uh, investing in a good knife, absolutely. And I, I have to admit that's a deficiency, a deficiency, a deficiency on my part. Um, I've got a old Leatherman that I've, I've, no, it's a Gerber actually, that I've had since I was in the Navy, but in it, does great for computer stuff. I mean, or, or having having just basic uh, like pliers or something like that. But it does not have locking blades. That's the one thing that I wish I could have now. I think the newest Gerbers do all have that. So not that I not that I'm recommending any brand or anything like that. Do your research and figure out what works best for you. Although you may not want to wait too long to come up with an answer on this. Yeah. And then I reckon the last thing we should talk about that we haven't touched on yet, but we've talked about it before, is um, a water filtration system. And my favorite, and I have one, and it's one of my prized possessions, is a Catadyne pocket. Um, it has a ceram- it's a silver impregnated ceramic filter, which you can just take out and totally wash off. And um, it's it's catadine pocket i mean it it would literally fit very easily in my purse my purse backpack thing that i carry and um it's supposed to be able to filter um the equivalent of an in-ground swimming pool i can't remember how many gallons that is but it's a lot off of just that one um silver impregnated ceramic filter um, super slick and it goes, I mean, you can stick, you can stick the, the input hose into the Missouri river, big muddy, if you want to, and completely potable water will come out the other side of that thing. And it'll, if you're in the mountains, it, it gets all the, what's that, what's the, that gives you the diarrhea, Girardia and all that. It gets all of that out. I mean, it's just, it's, it's no messing around. It gets everything out. Um, again, people have no comprehension of what it's like to not have, not have potable water. Um, got to be thinking in these terms because, and perhaps this is the most important thing to consider. One of the main points of coercion that they will use talking about coercing people into receiving the, the sterilization under the guise of vaccine, whatever it is. 
the primary point of coercion that they're going to have is they're going to start threatening people that we will we will cut off the utilities. If you don't comply with this, if you don't make sure all of your neighbors go along with this, we will cut off electricity to your entire neighborhood or whatever it is. We will cut off the water. We will cut off the gas. We'll cut off the internet. We'll cut off everything. And that's how they have, that's how they will attempt to coerce people. Once that crap starts, the only way it stops is by force of arms. You're going to have to go by force of arms and physically regain control of electricity, water, gas distribution. So you think, well, no, I'm fine. Everything's cool. I'm it's just incomprehensible to people that the water could be turned off and that that would, and that the government would do that intentionally. Oh, hell, hell yes, they do that. They're planning for it. They're counting on it, that this is how we're going to get these people in line and keep them in line. You do what we tell you to do or say goodbye to running water. And yeah, I think, Again, it's it's the irony of ironies. You've got a nation of 350 million people who are absolutely armed to the teeth. And so far, nobody shows any indication of being willing to do anything. Um, but I, I guess we'll see. I guess when they start turning people's water off and people start realizing that this is this is a murderous situation. They're trying to to just exterminate mass amounts of people if they're ready to start uh, doing something about this, but we'll see. And for something for household use, it's not a bad idea to have a water filter now. I mean, I've had a, I think it's a Berkey system, but I don't use Berkey filters in anymore. I use ProPure. Uh, if you don't have a, a filtering system, I would look at ProPure, but there's all kinds of good ones that are, that are out there in terms of mobile ones. I'm not familiar with the Catadyne. I definitely have that as a note to look up. Uh, I'm familiar with something called Life. Life straw, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember the name of the um, the filter that um, I, I mentioned. Grayberry Green Bray now like three or four times. He just put out a, a video recently for his you know most recently revised uh, bug out bag, and it's like a twenty four or thirty two ounce tumbler. It looks like basically you just dip this in the water, fill it up, and then you it's, it's think of it like a French press. But mm-hmm. instead of instead of uh, pressing the the grounds out, it's it's a water filter you're pushing the water through, and that's got that can do a thousand or some gallons. And of course, the filters themselves are, are small enough, so you just chuck a couple more of those in your pack if you need to. But the whole idea there is being able to filter water on the go. And you mentioned pulling water out of the Missouri River. Um, if you're in a situation where you have muddy water like that, it's best to let the the mud settle first if you have the time. I mean, obviously if you don't have time, do what you need to do, but these, these filtration devices, you know, you mentioned that it's supposed to be good for up to, you know, the filtering, the the contents of a swimming pool, the cleaner, the water, the the more filtration you, you can, you can do, or the more you can let particulates settle out before you even run it through filtration, the longer that filter is going to last. And if you are on the go, that's something to consider. I mean, if you, if you have no alternative, then just, you know, two is one, one is none, get three or four of them. Um, but whether it's the Catadyne or a Life Straw or something else, um, just keep that in mind. And, you know, topics we didn't get to, we just mentioned briefly and keep this in mind. Um, preemptively buying shoes and clothes for your growing uh-huh. kids. Buy a new set of tires for your vehicles. Um, 
even better if you know how to install those yourself and put them on. I don't. I don't have the gear for it. Consider getting a generator uh, and getting plastic gas cans uh, to, and, and a fuel stabilizer to to have fuel around to run the generator if you have to. Um, now, granted, that's not a long-term scenario. If they cut power to your neighborhood or, or to your, your area, uh, that's maybe a one-week situation. Mm-hmm. But if it's something like if you're if you're in if you're in central Louisiana right now, a one week is probably enough. Yeah, and something tactical about generators is that they, if there's one that's marketed as being super duper quiet, you'd probably want to go with that if you can, so that you're not drawing attention to yourself. If you get into a situation where there's collapse, there's roving hordes coming into neighborhoods, you're going to want to be as quiet about things like that as you can possibly be. So look at the decibel rating on whatever generator that you buy. And it's also just, it's more pleasant that way, obviously, too. If you have something that sounds like a relatively benign air conditioner, as opposed to something that sounds like a chainsaw running, you know, I mean, it, it makes a big difference. True, but in a power out situation, any any kind of mechanical noise is going to raise somebody's ear if that's what they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, in my case, I bought a generator to keep my freezers and refrigerators cold. Mm-hmm. Or if it's in the middle of the winter, I, I can power my central the, the blower on on my gas furnace. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm not looking to hide necessarily. Although to your point, if if stealth is a consideration, don't run your lights on it. Yeah, you know, try you try try to. Yeah. Try to be low profile as much as possible on that one, but you know it, it's it's definitely it's one of those things that it, it's a lot better to have it than to wish you had it and not have it. Exactly, and then I guess maybe the last thing to touch on is sit down and think about what you would do if you had no heat this winter. What would you need to get? And of course, the top of that list is a um, Arctic rated sleeping bag, sleeping bag, one sleeping bag for every human in your family. Um, Just start thinking about things like that. What if there were no heat? All right, prepare, get ready. I got nothing else to add at that that point. I mean, I was maybe thinking like heavy duty, heavy duty socks, but um, that's just me. Actually, the, uh, the thing I learned um, buying, sleeping bags for camping is that um, <laughs> it's it's very interesting. You want to be as close to naked as possible when you get inside those sleeping bags. The worst thing you can do is get into a super duper high level sleeping bag with all of your clothes on because you're going to, you're going to sweat. And then it's so, it's so well insulated that it's completely counterproductive. You want to, you want to get as close to naked as possible. You get into the sleeping bag and then your body heat is what then is held inside of the bag. Um, And clothes, believe it or not, are completely counterproductive to that and can even be extremely harmful. If you, if you get yourself chilled and wet, it just, it turns into a mess. So, do read up about sleeping bags and how to properly use sleeping bags so that you don't end up giving yourself a wicked case of pneumonia or something like that. If it gets to the point where you have to be sleeping in a sleeping bag. 
I'm just I'm just thinking about what you're saying about the, how you dress to be in a sleeping bag. I was going to say the opposite, but maybe this works for me. Even you know, not in a sleeping bag, I always wear a long sleeve cotton based shirt to bed because otherwise, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll get to a certain point and then I, uh, I don't know if it's sweat or what, and I'm weird that way. But if I if I wear a short sleeve shirt, I sweat my brains out. If I wear a long sleeve shirt, I'm comfortable. That's weird. Just know yourself in this in this case, yeah. and maybe and, and actually to that point, most of these uh, tips, suggestions, advice, ideas, try them out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the last thing you want to be doing if you're in a crap hits the fan situation is to be trying things for the first time. I, I mentioned earlier, my favorite idea for a pantry is a working pantry where you're constantly go working through the inventory and eating what you actually have on, on hand, mm-hmm. as opposed to let's have five years of, of freeze dried food on the ha- on hand until things go sideways. And then you try it for the first time. It's like, this is crap. I'm not going to eat it. Mm-hmm. Bad time to figure that out. Yep. You know, get the Arctic version sleeping bag, uh, try sleeping in the garage without heat sometime and see whether or not you sweat your brains out or whether my idea of a long sleeve cotton shirt works just fine. Um, and email the podcast and let us know uh, if you want to. But uh, the whole point is don't wait until you absolutely need something like this to actually try it for the first time. It's called prepping for a reason, as in pre-preparing yes (laughs) kind of the point so but and we're we're cutting it close here folks um i don't know if we'll even bother doing another prepping episode because i mean at a certain point when you're in it and it's too late it's too late so well and ultimately remember that we are not meant uh, like like we said earlier we're all going to die that's guaranteed no matter how much you prep no matter how much you prepare no matter what you do, we are all going to die. And that's a good thing because our home is not in this world. Ultimately, it's where we end up eternally. That's more important. And that's the most important prepping you can do. If you want to set aside all the material stuff and just say, and leave that in God's hands, fine. Awesome. If you're, it's more important to be in a good spiritual state than anything else. Well, I'm I'm reminded of, reminded of our Lord's words at uh, at the wrap up of the Last Supper, and he said, "If you if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go get one, and go buy one." So, you know, even our Lord and Savior, yes, there is there is some sort of healthy abandonment to to divine providence, but at the same time. Don't be dumb. He says right there in the Gospels, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go buy one. Oh, I, I agree. But I'm just saying if, if you're in a situation where I don't know when we're going to publish this, maybe we shouldn't wait too long to um, publish it. Yeah. But uh, if you're in a situation where things have gone pear-shaped and you're not prepared, don't freak out about it. Don't lose, don't lose your faith over this. I mean, ultimately, yeah. the, the thing that's most important is your soul. Mm-hmm. Don't don't lose your faith over anything. <laughs> There's nothing worth losing your faith over. Nothing in this world. And if you're like super nerd enjoined all of us so beautifully earlier at the beginning of the show, go get confessed. If just just doing that, just doing that puts you at such at such a leg up over everyone else. Um it's 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 the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Go do that. Go to confession, and then then if you want to go buy a bunch of beans, go buy a bunch of beans. But 
go to confession first. Indeed. And I think I'll go ahead and start the wrap up the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or let me know what I forgot from the prepping list. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors because at least one mass is said every single day, usually uh-huh. two or three, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, plus, every week, one traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass is said for everybody who died the previous week. Please remember all these priests in your prayers. They are being attacked. It, you want to talk about having a target on your back. You mentioned having a generator running in your neighborhood and people might find you and come loot your house. Uh-huh. Um, spiritually speaking, the, the, the demons have been doing that to the priests all along, and it's only going to get worse. Um, they're going to have their human agents coming after them, after the priests as well, especially when we go underground. Please, please pray for these priests. Uh, I don't think we can fully appreciate just how much we need them. Uh, the Barnhart. Oh, go ahead. No, that's indeed. Amen. Well said. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Supernerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more information. Since this one is going into the can, I don't know ahead of time who exactly to thank, um, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Matthew 1720. Matthew 17, 20, daily prayer and fasting twice a week, if you can, um, fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict XVI repent of anything he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision as well. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. And don't forget another thing you need to prep and keep in mind or have with you is a smile. Positive attitude goes a long way no matter what the situation. And on that hopefully happy note, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 